when I used to teach martial arts to kids, uh, it was a, it was a pretty standard martial arts class. There was not uh, anything I did different that much different than other other martial arts teachers. As times have changed in the last twenty years, now when I teach children martial arts, I talk to them about how many books you got to put in your backpack that would stop a rifle bullet. I talk about whether the back, and, and, and the kids talk about whether or not it should be on their back so that when they're running, they're safer if it's on their front because it would protect their organs better. And when these kids have this conversation with me, the, the energy of the conversation is, it's, it's hard to explain, but when you talk to school counselors and they tell you about who comes into their office after they do the, the live shooter drills, the lockdown drills, the anxiety, the depression. As a Gen Xer, I never had to duck and cover or practice ducking and covering from having a shooter in my school. And in fact, I remember in junior high, a kid coming in, the teacher telling the whole class it was his birthday, the teacher asking the kid what he got. He said, my dad gave me a 22. The teacher said, did you bring it? He goes, yeah, it's in my locker. And the teacher walked us down to the kid's locker, pulled it, cleared it, showed it off, talked about it to us, put it back in the kid's locker, and we went back to class. That was a, that was a ways back. And I grew up in a, in a community that's largely a farming community. And so this was pretty standard. Now, I did not grow up with guns. But this was, this was something that was around us. Playing with guns was something that we did. Playing, playing shoot them up and stuff like that. It was something that we did. But times have changed and parents don't know what to do. My guest today is Joe Gallagher. And he's writing his book on mass shootings. And I want to I wanna provide parents an understanding of what we have to tell our kids about shootings. At the concert, at the mall, at the school. How do we talk to our kids about this? How do we prep? I'm going to let Joe talk to you about why he's earned the right to have this conversation. But I will say for Joe, he is a father. He's a teacher. He's ex-military. I'm going to let him fill the rest. Let's talk about school shootings. Let's talk about mass shootings and violence. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Parents need the information that the professionals have. Parents need to know that there are resources and support out there that can help them with the crisis that their family is in. That's the purpose of this show. My name is Aaron Huey. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Joe Gallagher, thanks for being on Beyond Risk and Back. Thanks so much for all the support uh, for this show. I know it's, this show has been a long time coming because I contact you and you say, how about this week? And you're like, great. And then I don't contact you for two weeks. But here we are. Joe, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I really I really appreciate it. And uh, 
I'm, I'm glad that we can get this information out to folks. So let's start with why you're the person to write this book. I gave a little teaser at the beginning, um, but how, how come you're qualified to write this? So um, I got my degree in education a uh, long time ago, but then uh, decided to go into the military and, and went into the military. And in the military, my focus was law enforcement and anti-terrorism. And as part of the anti-terrorism piece, one of the things that we did was vulnerability assessments of facilities. And we looked at them and we said, okay, so if I was a bad guy, this is how I would take you out. This is what I would do. And then we'd come up with plans to counter that. And that's basically what we're doing with school shootings is coming up with a plan to counter. Um, But I think we need to take it a step further. And everything you hear about now, you know, when you hear Alice training and run, hide, fight and all these different things, it's all about reacting to bad things that have happened. And the piece that we're missing that we need to talk about is what do we do to stop them from happening in the first place? How long were you in the military? And you became a police officer after the military as well, yes? No, I wasn't a police officer afterwards. Um, I was a police officer in the military. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, But uh, I was in the military for 25 years. Okay. And then uh, started teaching after that. Haven't been teaching a long time. But... um, I feel like I, I have a pretty good idea of what is happening in the schools and what, what you know, I had a good relationship with kids, you know, understand that and have done a lot of research on the psychology and the sociology of what's happening in these communities and, and the psychology of the shooters and, and things along that line. So let's, let's talk about it. And the goal here is that we, you and I make sure that uh, everything we talk about uh, comes back to the parents, that, that there is, that we leave this podcast with parents knowing, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to say to your kid. Here's, here's, if it happens, God forbid, in your kid's school, here's as a parent, if you've told them this, they've got a better chance. We'll get to these things. Um, but in the schools that you've been in, uh, as a teacher, as a parent, um, because you've got daughters, um, you're, you're a parent, do you walk in, have you ever walked in a school and go, yeah, this place is safe? Or are, are, schools aren't designed for, for what you're talking about, right? So, yeah, so, you know, the, the one thing that I would say is, is you've got to look at schools differently because of who the shooters are, depending on the school. So at an elementary school, you know, hardening the entry point and making it difficult to get in and having ways to delay the person is important because 70% of the time, that shooter in an elementary school is going to be an adult that came from outside the school. Okay. So you've got to look at that school differently than what you're doing in the middle or high school where, you know, in in middle schools, 82% of the time, it's a student and in high schools, it, it's 82% of the time it's a student with an additional 14% of the time it being a former student. So you're, you're looking at really a different, a different deal. This kid's supposed to be there. He's going to come into the school. So how do you deal with that is different than how you deal with it at an elementary school. And we're just not, in, in this conversation, we're not just talking about school shootings. Uh, we're also talking about your kid wants to go to the movies. And we learned after Aurora that that could be dangerous. Concerts with what happened in Vegas, um, going to the mall. That just recently happened, the shooting in Walmart in Texas. And the goal is not to scare parents into keeping your kids at home because that's not realistic. But the, the goal here is to say, why is this happening? What's, what's changing? 
In your opinion, is this about guns or mental health or both? In your opinion, uh, which is which is our attack point outside of securing a facility to have delayed entry and controlled entry? Um, and then how do we make our children, how do we make these places more defensible if need be? And then at the end, what do we tell children? So, so let's go back to the beginning. Based on your research, based on what you're doing, based on the fact that you were active military dealing with I don't, I don't live shooting scenarios. I mean, you were you're in combat, so dealing with this stuff. Um, what are we talking about about the mentality of these shooters in the, these mass shooters? So, I mean, realistically, I don't think we have a, a crisis of of shootings or weapons. It's not what we have. They're very rare. They're horrible when they happen. The crisis and epidemic that we have is mental health. And if you look back to all these shootings, almost all of them are tied to a mental health diagnosis, either prior to or subsequent to the shooting. So we either knew ahead of time or we figured it out later that they had some type of mental health issue that was going on. Right. When you look back at posts or writings for, for those shooters that passed away that they, didn't, that they couldn't talk to afterwards or in the shooters that didn't die, you know, and then there's some, you know, you see, you see the ones that, ha- the one that happened down in uh, Pensacola at the uh, training base for the Navy. Um, that was radical extremism kind of stuff. That was a diff- that's a different thing, different, different thing happening there. But when you look at the majority of the sh- shootings that happen in the U.S., there's a mental health diagnosis that goes with it. And specifically in schools, I mean, 100% of the time in schools, there's some type of mental health diagnosis that goes with those mass shooting events. You and I were talking about gun ownership off the air. And, you know, this this is going to bring up political sensitivity. This is a divisive issue. Um, You and I uh, in in the past have talked about gun ownership uh, very openly. And I'm I'm curious, uh, the, 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 the focus that needs to be taken and the stance that needs to be uh, taken on mental health issues, I believe is without argument, whether or not it's attached to gun issues or not, but obviously it is. But is this also a gun issue? Do we have too many guns in the U.S.? Are guns too accessible to people with mental health issues? Where Where's your research pointing? What are you looking at as you're do, writing this book? So from what I've looked at and what I've seen, gun ownership ha- is, is actually inversely proportional to shootings occurring in that area. Um, now, that's not including suicides, because as gun ownership goes up, suicides, uh, successful suicides go up. Okay. But when we're talking about shooting events um, where there's victims other than the shooter, um, they actually go down with gun ownership, with higher gun ownership. Now, off the air, you were saying examples of that in Alaska? Alaska and Wyoming. Wyoming. Have very low... I mean, have very high gun ownership, but have very low rates of mass shootings. Cap- Canada has very high gun ownership. You know, that's, that's, that's another. So, so then my question then becomes, is this a per capita issue? Um, I don't think it is. It, it, it appears to not. Be. What it appears to be, and most of my, most of my research is, is directed towards school shootings. So that's where, that's where my statistics come from. So when you look at um, when you look at these things, like California has a very high rate of, of school shootings, but mm-hmm. they also have a very high population. Right. 
they also have very low gun ownership and they also have very strict gun laws. Right. So that doesn't seem to be a correlation. There's no correlation in increasing gun laws decreases shootings. Um, and that's, I think, because of the gun laws that we have. When you take a look at what's happening and what's going on when we're talking about, again, with my focus, it's school shootings. When you look at what's happening, everyone is all up in arms about uh, automatic rifles or semi-automatic rifles or assault rifles or whatever you want right, to call right. them. But the reality is, in the majority of school shootings, it's a pistol that's used. So what you're focusing on is not a problem. And what are the stats here? Let me look. So in, uh, in elementary schools, 69% of the time, pistols are used as the primary weapon. In middle schools, it's... Uh, 62% of the time, and in high schools, the pistol is used. I didn't write that one down, but it's around, it's it's a little bit, it's probably around 59% of the time is, okay. I think, the number that's in my head. So that's the weapon that's being used, and we're not talking about it. And that's the weapon that's being used in, you know, crimes and, and everything else if you're looking at at the weapons. That's the weapon that is the primary weapon that's that's hurting people in the U.S. But we're not talking about that. And one of the things you said when you and I were talking off the air before the show is, you know, one of the changes that makes sense to you around gun ownership is the requirement of having uh, a secure gun ownership. What does that mean to you? What, do, what do we, let's talk about that for a second. So, the reality is, so the problem is access, and the, the problem is access to weapons by people who shouldn't have access to them. Number one, children. Number two, people with some type of situation going on in their life where they have thoughts, suicidal ideation, something like that. Sure. So we need to secure those weapons, and, and it can't be in a little gun cabinet with a, with a cable running through them because it's easily defeated. If you own a weapon a law that I think makes sense is you have to own a weapon safe that can handle those weapons. So whether it is you break them down, take out the bolts or the firing pins and put them in a smaller safe, or you have a large safe that you can put the entire weapon in. But if you take a piece away from the weapon so the weapon no longer works, that's as good as putting the whole weapon in the safe. It seems that a conservative issue with that, an NRA issue with that, could be that now it's no longer quickly accessible for home defense. That's not true. I have a safe in my house um, for a pistol for home defense, and it's a biometric safe. I touch it with my fingertip. It drops open. A light comes on so I can see the weapon. I can keep it loaded with a round in the chamber, pull it out, and I'm ready to defend the house. Okay. And it literally, I swipe my finger, it goes beep, and drops open. That is the extent of the time that it takes me to get that weapon out of my house. When you talk about the problem being about accessibility, is, is that indicative of having too many guns or is that addictive, uh, indicative of people just don't secure their weapons? I think it's a people don't just don't secure their weapons. There was one school shooting where uh, two um, teenage boys were planning a shooting and they, uh, they were planning on taking the father's weapons. The father had a weapon safe. They tried for hours to get into that weapon safe and couldn't do it. They tried a blowtorch. They tried hammers. They tried pry, pry bars. They tried everything they could think of to get into that safe and couldn't do it. Huh. And then the kid remembered, my grandfather has guns. So he went to the grandfather's house. The grandfather had a weapons case um, with a glass front 
and he had a cable lock running through the trigger guards of the weapons to keep them in there. Well, they went out to the garage, got a pair of garden shears, cut the cable, and had all of his weapons. So I think it's, it's not quantity, it's access. And if you can eliminate access, you know, that's, that's the best thing you can do as a parent. If you're going to have a gun in your house, and, and I recommend you do, you secure it properly with a gun safe and, and a fireproof gun safe, not, not one with a little lock on it that's a cabinet. Sure. A real gun safe that's going to protect someone from trying to break into it. Okay. And, and, and you and I speaking beforehand, this, this whole conversation become extremely political. This is a very divisive issue. It, we're, and all the things that would need to change. And, and now as we start to move to talk about uh, some of the mental health things, like if we said, hey, these mental health issues are okay for gun, owner, gun ownership because these people don't, in our assessment, these people don't uh, present a harm to themselves or others, they can own a gun. Like the, the amount of work and time and energy it would take to get some political body made of bipartisan members to agree on something like this, the soonest we could look at is 12 years from now. The soonest. I, I think it's because we have, we've got two different factions. We, you know, we've got the conservative and the liberal factions fighting. And, and one is we can't do anything. And one is we have to do everything. And the key is finding the middle ground where we can get somewhere. And if we can get the conservatives on board with some good research-based stuff that says these are the things that don't eliminate the rights but have, have some ability to, to, take, to take precautions when necessary, I think we can do that. But the, piece, the, the part is getting that voice out there where the, the politicians have no choice where those conservative politicians have to come on board. The liberal politicians are going to go because they want anything they can get. Yeah. So they're going to come forward with that. And if they don't, and they're saying, well, we want more, then that's where you have to get the other end to be like, get this, we'll talk about more we'll later. We'll talk about more later. we got to step stone this. And both people have to come to the center yeah, and and to, if, to begin. If you look at um, Dr. Uh, Peter Langman did a study on, uh, he was he was actually at um, Children's in Denver uh, when the Columbine shooting happened. Okay, and he took part in uh, he was a psycholo uh, psychologist and took part in some of the psychology the psychologists going up to help folks up there. Um, he eventually got wrapped up in doing research based on on this based on everything he'd seen. He was like, I got to look at this more, and 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 then. Uh, did a whole bunch of research on a variety of shootings, got pulled in by um, the uh, Safe School Initiative run by the Department of S uh, the Secret Service and the Department of Education. Right. And he, he got access to even more information based on their, uh, the law enforcement and Department of Ed connections to get more information so he could do even more analysis. And the things that he looked at and the things that he found out was there was three basic... Um, psychological diagnoses that came out of these school shooters. And they were psychopathic, um, psychotic, and traumatized. Those were the three areas where he's like, these are the three diagnoses that we see that go across, span across all the shooters that I've looked at. So that gets you to a place where now, okay, so now we have a, diag uh, 
a diagnosis on these guys. So can we can we say that these are areas where now we're going to take a look and this is what the law is going to focus on is these three diagnoses because it's research based. We have some level of yeah, there's a diagnostic platform to at least begin with. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of that's kind of it. And can we do that same thing on the mass shootings? You know, on all the mass shooters, like what what's going on and what what is it? Is it a you know excluding the political ideologies that that lend to stuff like you know uh, the the shooting that just happened down in in Pensacola or the one that happened at Fort Hood right, or right. or things like that. If you exclude those, where you have this this political ideology that's going on, and you just focus on okay, these were just stuff that happened randomly. Why did they happen? Who, what's the men? What can we find in there? Is there a mental diagnosis that we can tie to that? And then that's where you go and say, okay, so this is what we know. So then let's act on it. It seems to me that both, you know, what, what I hear from you is that both, um, you know, legislations around gun and legislation around mental health assessment and guns, it has to start somewhere. Like, like none of these things can just continue going on, whether, whether it's not everything that the liberals want, it's got to start. Whether it's it's the something that the the far right does not, it's got to start somewhere. Or in your assessment, is this just going to continue? Is it going to get worse? I, I really feel like the the one that we can get past quickly is the weapon safes, because if you think about it, the the liberal folks will really. That it seems like it makes sense. If you're yes. going to have a weapon, have a weapon safe. Yes. So that's they can get on board with that. The NRA is going to back this because they're they're supporting all of these organizations that that sell shooting supplies. Well, Weapon Safe is a Weapon shooting safe supply. Safe is part of them, right? So, so they I can see them getting behind that. It's responsible gun ownership, which they tout. So let's let's make that. That's a simple law that we can I think can can get done quickly. Okay, let's move into talking to parents. Okay, in your assessment. Uh, you've got you've got a uh, a kid who's interested in guns. Guns represent a need, power, safety. Um, you know they, these are these are things that they can they can research. These are things that they can go online and look. They can play games like uh, you know airsoft and paintball and Nerf and like from a very young age, we are showing kids that the use of weapons is part of. Uh, ob- ob- obtaining results, right? <laughs> and there is there is a there is a point in this conversation or in this indoctrination, I'll call it. You know, for for good or for for evil, kids are shown from a very very young age, weapons can be used to solve issues. Generally, we try to represent in good guy versus bad guy. But let's be honest, especially with how many years in the military, you nobody thinks they're the bad guy. Everybody chooses a side and thinks they're the good guys and the other guys are the bad guys. So now at what point, as, as a parent, as someone who has a lot of education around uh, 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 firearms, as a parent, when do you become concerned about your kid's interest in it? Where is it not an interest and now it starts to be an obsession? So when you when you look at the research on this on, on what's going on and what these these folks are, are are doing is are they it's not are they interested in the weapon, it's do they have ideations of killing, you know are you looking at like one of the one of the key factors in looking at these shooters and seeing stuff is are they focusing on um, 
almost a rehearsal for a killing. So are they... How does that look? So it looks like in their writings, like in school, you'll see some kids that are actually writing stuff about killing people for papers in schools. Like they, they talk about going out and, and the injustices that they've had thrust upon them and then they're going to go out and they're going to get a weapon and they're going to kill these people or they're going to do this stuff. And it's, it's not necessarily... Like I love shooting. I love going shooting. It's a lot of fun. But I don't think about going out and and killing people and that's where the that's where the line is that's where the difference is and it's it's a uh, let me give an example that concerns me and I'll just pose this to you as a question that makes me go uh, I don't know if that so when you see some uh, uh, um, video on Facebook or something about some animal that's been horrendously abused, starved, beaten, you know, brutalized, tortured, you'll see in the thread people saying someone should kill that person. And in my mind, when I look at that, I'm like, well, uh, those like the person who did that to that animal is the type of person who thinks that killing things is a way to resolve things, and you're responding by think, saying that we should kill that person. Is that a sign if your kid is responding to an animal abuse video with saying that person needs to be shot? I don't think so. I, but okay. I think that the sadism piece is 100% an indicator. Sure, and, so, that, and that is and a the, major indicator. The, yeah. one, the one thing that, we, that you've got to look at is there's, there's all sorts of indicators, and you can't predict who these kids are going to be. You really can't. Right. But if you intervene when you see stuff that you do a head tilt at, that's that's what makes sense. And and the parents need to the parents need to really be honest with themselves because what I saw as a teacher is parents that deny what's happening around them when stuff is brought up. I had a student who um, I saw uh, some some video of uh, on videos on a on his school computer and they were terrorist videos about killing people in addition his his computer was in farsi like he had changed his computer language to farsi gotcha which is arabic for those who don't know what sure, that is sure. so um anyways I, I brought this up the parents were complete 100 denial oh we were just talking about about um about 9-11 and and he was looking at these videos because of that, which was opposed to the kid's explanation, which was, well, I just like planes. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, so if you like planes, you look at F-18s or, or F-15s or something cool. You know, that's right. what, you don't look at planes flying into a building and killing thousands of people. That's not what you do. Right. So I brought this to the administration. They brought it to the parents. Um, kid was not upset, ended up leaving the school, uh, was very upset, ended up leaving the school, and then two weeks later, we got a notification from the kid's um, mental health provider that he was thinking about blowing up the school. Wow. So, you know, was that, was that a one in a million that I caught that? Yes. One in a million. It doesn't, it, but the more you do that, the better your chances are of, of catching those. But the point is, the parents were in denial. And the parents hate me, and that's cool. But <laughs> that's cool. I, you know, I really feel like I saved that kid's life because he had he done something, whether he whether he got dead or not, his life was ruined. Right. And and that's where the teachers need to be is you have to think about this. And that's where the parents need to be. If you see another kid's parent and that's part of the sociology of this, if you see another kid out there 
doing something that you like, like you see them torturing an animal or something, you have to say something to the parents. And the problem is we are not strong enough to do that as parents. Parents are terrified of, of talking to other parents. About and, and, you know, Joel, I was that parent. I was the parent who, when I heard something that was taking place in my kids' junior high, I called all the parents of all the kids involved and confronted it directly. Some said thank you. Some said I was working for the school district and trying to blacklist their child. Some didn't know what to do and didn't know whether to thank me or not. Like, you're going to get all kind of reactions, but my mom was the type of person, my dad was the type of person who would confront other parents in the neighborhood and say, what's going on here? Let's get, let's get on the same page. Let's figure things out. What, what is this? What are, what are we afraid of by talking to other parents? So realistically, in communities that are small enough for you to, to see what's going on, the, the sociology behind it is you're also so intertwined with these folks, these other parents that you're working with them, you're uh, you're working with them. You're you're friends with them. You go to church with them. You know, there's so many interpersonal relationships, and you're so intertwined that you're afraid of the consequences of what they're going to do when you do this. And one of the things I point out in my book is that you need to be honest with yourself about what you're going to do, and you need to have this conversation with your friend group prior to something happening. And you say, hey, if I see something, I'm going to tell you. And it's not because I'm trying to be an ass. It's not because I'm trying to be a jerk. It's not because I think your kid's evil. It's because I'm doing this so that nothing bad happens to your kid. And, and that, goes, that goes along all lines, whether it's, you know, and so folks who don't know, my, my daughter went through uh, the program uh, that uh, they run at Fire Mountain. And that's how, that's how we met. And people knew what she was doing and didn't tell me. And that was horrible. And, you know, so I, I just, it's, it's those kind of things where you have to be honest about what you're going to do and you have to think about that ahead of time. And you have to set your resolve that you're going to say something because it's the best thing you can do for that kid to keep them from having, either getting dead or having a horrible life. Do you think violent toys... Nerf guns, these types of things, violent video games. I call them violent toys, but they're toys. Kids use them for violent play. You know, these these are solving my problems. I'm shooting you, you're shooting me. Um, BB guns, these types of things, and, and video games. They're they're extremely violent, gory violence. Um, and kids have access because these parents don't care, and these parents do. So this kid goes plays with that kid. Everybody's got access. Are these precursors? Not necessarily. Okay. The research does not back up because of the just the sheer mass of those out there. You would think that the problem would be much larger if it was if it was something that did that. Now, with that said, there they can be used as a for certain kids as an outlet for them to practice and desensitize themselves and become something, you know, to that where that's basically a rehearsal for killing. So can it be? Yes. Is it? No. I, I don't think it really Got it. is something that happens, but you will see that. And that's another one of those, those myths out in the media that this is, this is a problem. I don't think that's the problem. The problem is the mental health and what's going on. And these kids, you know, when you look at the, the kids, they're, 
they are in a point where, I mean, out of all the school shooters that were studied, 90% of them were suicidal. So there are, they've already made their mind up that they're willing to kill themselves. Right. So that's where that, that change is, is, okay, so what's going on and what's happening here and why, why is that happening and what's, what's that about? And that's where, we've, that's where the, really the rubber meets the road in, in doing that and, and noticing these kids. And kids are, parents have to realize that kids are really good at being deceptive. And if they don't want you to know something, you're not going to know it. But somebody is. And that's where the whole telling each, telling each other and being, you know, being that parent that's going to be receptive to that as well and look into it and not be like, oh, you're just an ass and I'm not going to, you know, I don't, I don't care what you say. You're just, you're just trying to be mean to my kid or whatever. You know, you've got to be honest about what you're going to do and look into these things because it's your kid you're trying to protect. And now a word from our sponsor. As a suicide and abuse survivor, Johnny Crowder spent his formative years searching for resources to help him cope with his mental health issues, ranging from OCD and bipolar disorder to schizophrenia. And after nearly a decade of clinical treatment, volunteer peer counseling, and public advocacy, he now relies on the strategies he shares through Cope Notes to live a happier, healthier life. Johnny Crowder is the founder and CEO of Cope Notes, and I met up with him to talk about what he's created. And honestly, parents, I think every teen, every person who suffers from anxiety or depression or any mental health issue should have Cope Notes on their phone. Check this out. How did you come up with Cope Notes? Where did all this come from? It's a classic entrepreneur story of someone looking for something for a decade, realizing it doesn't exist, and then fashioning one out of pure frustration. <laughs> that the option wasn't available before. Yeah, so how does it work? The way I picture it is that people are getting a text a day or like what's happening? Yeah, so we'll send a user one text a day, random time, you don't know when you'll get it or what it'll say. And these texts are psychology facts or advice or a question that you can respond and journal to. And over time, we're just trying to help you mold your brain into something that works with you instead of against you. Instead of us throwing someone on our back and carrying them, we wanna make sure that we're putting them in a position where they can carry themselves. Because independence is the goal, right? When something happens, you don't wanna to turn to something and say, fix me, you wanna go, I know what to do to handle this now. So the, the concept of it being cope notes, are you seeing this as a, a healthy coping mechanism? Or is this to replace the, the old bad ones? It's an answer to bad habits compounding on each other over time. So just like we can accidentally turn to the wrong thing over and over again, Cope Notes presents you with a new thing every day. So Cope Notes isn't the resource. We're connecting you with 150 other ways to think about what you're going through. So you can actually buy it for someone else and it starts showing up on their phone? So our gift subscription is one of our most popular options and it you can personalize it. You can say, you know, from mom, love you, or you can leave it anonymous and that person will start receiving the text messages right away. What's the feedback been like, Johnny? That's the part that's really been the most encouraging for me, I think. People have made massive 
decisions in life based on one of our texts. And sometimes it's so clearly from the user's interpretation of the text. It just mentions popcorn and someone checks themselves into rehab for an eating disorder. Is there a Facebook page that people can check into your community? We have a public Facebook page. It's just Cope Notes. It should be pretty easy to find. Is this going around the world? I got international listeners. We're number one in Australia, number three in Canada. Like, are they going to be able to do this? Yes. Believe it or not, even though you live in another country and it's text messages, you would think that it would be really complicated, but we have an international system set up. We're in 75 countries across the globe right now. So odds are wherever you live, we're already serving people in your country. That's Johnny Crowder, lead singer of Prison and the founder of Cope Notes. To activate your two free weeks of Cope Notes, go to beyondriskandback.copenotes.com. That's beyondriskandback.copenotes.com. Go get your free two weeks. Okay, let's get back to the program. So now let's start to talk about what on earth do we tell our kids? What do we do with our kids? And, and not just because we're not, so much of your research has been around uh, school shootings, but also you've done research on mass shootings. You're, you're, we're, we're talking about, do you send your kids to the movies? Do you, do, are, shootings happen in churches. Do we, do we stop going to church and just start watching YouTube videos of our preachers? Do we, how do we do this? And most importantly, how do we tell our kids what we're doing? without putting them into a state of mind that's creating depression, anxiety, um, because it does. And there's not, a, there's not a high school counselor that would say, it's fine after we do a, an active shooter drill. All the kids are fine. That's so stressful. That, that, that is, I remember talking to a, a school counselor who at, at their school, they had a... a a suspicious person locked down the same day that there was a school shooting in Texas. And because the a principal and assistant principal were off property at conference, this counselor was required to do the final walkthrough. And no one knew what this was. All they knew is that there was a drill and everything went by the book. So she's alone in this school walking around each corner, wondering if it's the last corner she walks around. That's terrifying. And she's the school counselor. She's the mental health professional that's trained to help kids through this part. And she came out of that experience going, my God, the drill itself is traumatizing. And you mentioned uh, off the air, there's a couple uh, uh, teachings in place that are going on in this school. What were they called? They're like like the things that we are doing doing with kids in school. What are their acronyms? Um, Alice is, uh, is a organization they came out with how to respond to, uh, and most schools use that that paradigm is the Alice paradigm. Okay. And there's another one. And then there's the run, hide, fight, okay. which is, which I is saw the that overarching, overarching is those are the things you should be doing. You should, the first thing you should do is go get away. Second thing you should do, if you can't get away is hide. And then the last thing you want to do is fight. But the reality is if you don't fight, you're going to get dead. So you have to, that's, have to that's, fight. that's the only time you do that is when you have no other choice. Do you agree with both of those concepts in principle without going into the minutia? Yeah, that, that is that if, if your school is using those principles, that is a good thing. There's okay. some schools that aren't, that are still in the lockdown mode. And we're just going to, we're just going to sit here. And the, the best thing you can do is get away from the threat. I mean, it's kind of like a burning building. If the burn, building's on fire, 
get out of the building. That's your, that's what you want to do. And if, if building's getting shot up, get out of the building. That's not where you want to be. So, you know, that's, that's the paradigm, but sometimes you can't. How would you have talked to your daughters when they were little? Like, like if your, if your girls were in kindergarten now, how would you talk to them about this? So there's two things you can do as a parent. Number one, there's a book out there called, uh, I'm not afraid or I'm, I'm not scared. I'm prepared. And it's by the uh, company that does the Alice training. And uh, it's designed for kids to talk to them about shootings. And uh, it's a pretty good book. And it's a, if you don't know what to say, that's what you should, that's a good place to go to, to talk to your kids about it. And they're using it in most of the schools. It's something that's, that's done fairly regularly. So they, you know, they should be familiar with that. So, when talking to little kids about this, you know, uh, let's say elementary and lower, um, what you should be talking about is just what you want them to do and, and in schools, listen to the teacher, do what they say, and that this is, you've got to reassure them that this is not something that happens all the time and that we're, we're, try- we're just talking about this because we're trying to prepare you if something bad happens. It's just like putting a seatbelt on in your car. You put a seatbelt on in your car, you belt your kid every day, and you don't think about it. But you're doing that in case something horrible happens. And that's the analogy that you can use with your kids when you're talking about this when they're young is, hey, we're, we're, we're talking about this because we want to be safe and we're going to do things to make us safe. It's just like putting a seatbelt on the car. You've never been in a car accident. That's never happened. But every time we get in the car, we put your seatbelt on because we're doing that in case something bad happens. And that's what we're doing here. We're doing this in case something bad happens, but we're, we're not really worried about it. I'm Not Scared and Prepared was written by Julia Cook. Uh, it, it's, it's a kid's book, and they have, they have a kid's activity book that goes with it. And it's saying that it, the, the Alice plan will work the best to help us be prepared. Like it's part of their poem. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, part of their, it's part of the Alice programs, uh, and they're, they're very focused. The, the folks who run that program... Um, it's a husband and wife team. Uh, the wife was a teacher and the husband was a law enforcement officer. So they've okay. got a good program. They have a good understanding of what's going on. Um, and, and I think that book is really good for talking for, to young kids. All right. So now our kids junior high and junior high is miserable enough without having to do yeah. life, life shooter drills. So. so, and this is where the kids really, cause at this point they, they, understand they see the media yeah. and what's happening and that's one of the things that you need to talk to your kids about is is what the media is presenting is really not reality and and we've 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 got to realize that you know the media is it's a white male who's been bullied who's a loner doesn't have any friends and that's not reality that's not true that's not what this is so we need to dispel those rumors is it predominantly a white person yes is it predominantly male yes but that's not all that it is um and most shooters are not, they have friends, they have a friend group, they hang out, they do stuff, some play sports, you know, they, they have a social interaction. The problem is the mental health problems that go with it and what's happening with that. And, you know, y- you see these kids that, so, so saying that it's just the loner that's sitting in the corner, that's, that's not true, that's not what it is. Now, can it be? yeah. But that's not what it is. And we need to make sure, number one, that they know that. The other thing that I would urge parents to talk to their kids about um, is uh, what we call leakage. And, and leakage is when 
the shooters talk to someone else about their plans. They tell someone about it. And does that happen a lot? Uh, 80, 81% of the time in wow. the study done by, um, uh, the, it was the done by the, uh, Marshall's not the Marshall service. It was uh, secret service and the department of ed. Wow. They looked at shootings from, and this was post Columbine. It was right after Columbine. The safe school initiative is what this was under. And they looked at shootings from 1994 to 2000 and 80% of the time in the shootings that they looked at, someone knew 80 percent, 81% of the time, someone knew about the shooting and 93% of those who knew were peers. Wow. So, um, that's, they need to realize that if somebody says something like that, you have to tell someone and the kids don't want to tell anybody. They don't want to say anything. Number for, for a couple reasons. Number one, they don't think their friend's going to do it. Right. And number two, they're scared of getting their friend in trouble. And that's another thing that we need to look at changing is, is how do we react to this? Because we, we are reacting to this now. If someone, if we find out that a kid has, has done something where we're concerned. Right. We treat it as a criminal act. And I don't think we should be doing that. You mean versus a mental health it's, act? Yeah, versus it should be, it should be a mental, this should be right. a mental health thing. And I think we can use that criminal act because they have committed a criminal act by what they've done. Right. But we can use that as leverage to be like, okay, we want you to get mental health support and you need to go do that. And in addition to doing that, your mental health provider needs to communicate with us and tell us that you're number one compliant with treatment and where you're at in treatment, and what's going on and how things are happening so that we know that this is happening. And if you don't, if you're non-compliant, as long as you're compliant, we're good. And if, and the other thing is then what are we doing about weapons and access to weapons when we find this out? And, and again, that's where we can get the, use the criminal charge to, to kind of help with compliance of, well, do you have a weapon safe? How are we going to do that? Or do we need to remove the weapons from your home to make them safe? Where can you put them or what can you do with them to get them out of the hands of this person so that we have a, so that we don't have to worry about them hurting themselves I mean, or others? In all things, this is coming right back to the parents to say, if your kids are little, read this book. I'm not scared. I'm prepared with your kid and have the conversation. And I love the way you did it, like a seatbelt. Like and we talked about uh, lightning. Lightning yeah. happens. That doesn't mean you don't go out in the rain. It's just that when we do, we take some certain precautions so that we don't get hurt. Does lightning strike everybody? No. And it but actually lightning does strike. <laughs> and it does. It happens at about the same instance as Injuries from school shootings. Injuries wow. from lightning happen about the same instance as injuries from school shootings wow. when you take a look at the, the size of the population. So, again, it, it's, we're worried about something. It's horrible, and, and you've got to deal with it, but you, we're, we're, we're turning this into an epidemic, and it's not. The epidemic is the mental health piece. Yeah. And, and I just and, keep coming back to that. And it's one, I, as a mental health professional, it's one aspect of the mental health epidemic. Like it, it's a horrid aspect. It's terrifying to see. But if, the, if teen alcoholism got as much attention as school shootings, we would be addressing it in a much different way and be holding some alcohol companies accountable for how they advertise. If smoking, if these, these issues that we look at and what's attached to mental health, smoking and drinking as a teenager is a maladaptive coping mechanism. So is playing video games too much. So is looking at porn. So is an obsession with guns. These are mental health issues 
first. Now, I'm not the expert to say whether this is guns or mental health. That's why we're bringing you on, is to get your take on this. Um, but, but this, regardless of which angle lawmakers are going to take, whether this is you know, a political issue or a mental health issue or a rights issue or whatever, the mental health issue, if it gets brushed under the rug so that it can be about something else, we're still missing an opportunity to bring attention to the true mental health epidemic that's rocking this well, country. And here's the thing with the, the whole mental health thing. You know, if, if I was sick, I would say, hey, I'm sick. I went to the doctor. Right. But I'm not willing to share that about mental health. We have this stigmatism yeah. attached to it. And it's, it's, to me, it's perpetrated by the mental health providers themselves. The, Explain that. So... When, um, when I was working with the insurance company to try and get them to pay for Shannon to come to yes. Fire Mountain, yes, they would not talk to me about what they could do because it was a mental health thing and they couldn't talk to me about it, but they needed me to talk to them about, about what the facility was. So it was, they were so worried about protecting the rights of the person that was a minor that they wouldn't talk to the guardian to tell them what was happening so that they could provide support and help for them. <laughs> so it was, it was just craziness like that, that I saw that I'm just like, you know, I feel like we need to, that's another thing you need to talk to your kids about is you should go get help from someone. You should talk to people about what's going on in your world. And I'm not a, I'm not a feelings talk about guy. <laughs> I'm not, you know, that's not my thing, but it's important. And it's something that, that you need to make sure that people know they can do. Like I saw it in the military when um, my wife and I, prior to getting married, we were going to go back um, out of the state that we were in to get married. And we had to do pre-Cana classes. Well, we talked to the, the uh, priest who was going to marry us, and we're like, can we just, you know, they're having this, uh, this training in our mental health department on relationships and, and stuff. And can we do that? And they're like, yeah, you can do that. That would be great. We'll count that as your pre-cane and you won't have to come here to do the pre-cane. I'm like, okay, awesome. So I did that. So about, I don't know, a year and a half later, I came up for um, the review of my top secret clearance. Right. It got denied because I got mental health support. <laughs> for your marriage. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but that's where, you know, it's, realistically, when you're looking at that from a top secret thing, what I want is if you're having some type of, even if I was having marriage issues at the time, right. what you want me to do is get support, not internalize it and, and bury it. Yeah. It's, it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's those kind of things where you're like, we really need to take a look at how we, how we do, what we do and how we talk about this, because it, we have so many stigmatisms attached to mental health that, shouldn't be there. It should be, should be lauded when you go get help. So we're talking to parents and we're saying, you got to talk about leakage. If you hear something, you have to say something. So let's, let's you and me kiddo practice you saying something to me. I know it's dumb, but let's practice so that God forbid we ever have a real conversation. We know what we're going to say. and We don't feel nervous about that. We've got to have parents open to talking about mental health issues. If their friend is struggling with mental health issues and the kid comes to the parent and says, my friend has mental health issues and the parent shuts the conversation down, that teaches the kid that we don't talk about <laughs> mental health issues. We've got to talk about 
gun safety and keep the the access to guns. And if your friend has access to guns, I want I want to know if your friends have access to their parents' guns. I want to know. And being that parent who's being out there talking to other parents, if you hear something as a parent that you're saying something, you're calling someone in the school. These are these are all again, these sit on the shoulders of the parents. And at the end, we're we're now Instead of teaching parents what to do, we're teaching kids what to do when they hear shots fired. And that's what you said at the beginning of this podcast, is that we are still in reaction to somebody who's dysfunctional mentally and has access to something they shouldn't. And now our children are in danger. And now we want to teach the children what to do. When we've missed the 34 steps that we should have taken before, okay, kid, you got to run, you got to hide. And if you're standing in front of them and it's, it's do something or die, fight. Is that, is that really where we stand with, and, and with violence? That's, and that's part of the problem that I see in the schools is that's where we're, that's what they're teaching. They're, they're, they're teaching the run, hide, fight, which they should be teaching. Of you, course. You have to teach that. You have But to. you can't teach it in a vacuum. What, one of the recommendations I, I, I make to the, to the schools is, we need to talk about, we need to be teaching because, because it's not happening and the, and the coping skills seem to be getting worse from what I've seen as opposed to better. Um, and, and the access to people getting, you know, getting bullied. And, and that's another thing. One of the other false things that you need to, you know, we talk about they've these, been bullied they, they've been bullied. Now, those kids feel like they've been bullied, but from a casual observer looking at it, you wouldn't call it that. But they're what they call injustice collector. So every little thing that happens oh, just keeps piling yeah, on yeah. and it keeps stacking up. So every little thing becomes more and more of this, of how they've been wronged by the world. And it's not a person. And that's the other thing. It's, it's this view of the whole world wronging the shooter, not justice collector. Yeah. Not a, uh, not a specific event, but, the sum of all events that have ever happened to them in the life and they don't let them go and they don't cope with it. And it's, it's just something that keeps every little thing becomes more and more and you just see it building and building and building. Okay. Let's talk about the, the final piece, the, we didn't do our 34 steps, but the 35th step needs to be activated. You're in a movie theater. Maybe, maybe you're not the best example because you, you, have a concealed carry. I'm so gonna, I'm going to remain calm and return fire. Is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> and you, but see, you've got the training. You've yeah. got 20 plus years of training and, and, and well, like, like, and, and when you, Oh, this is, this is where you want to, you know, uh, a responsible trained militia and are well armed. And, and uh, what does the second amendment say? Well armed and um, trained militia. Uh, and the, the training piece you have, like, like that is yeah. something, you know, I shot firearms with my children because I wanted them to have it in their hand. I wanted them to feel the recoil. I wanted them to lose the panic. I didn't put uh, uh, earmuffs on them the first time because I wanted their brains to overcome the, the sound and be able to recognize, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the same thing we do in martial arts is we, we, we train the body to remain calm and return with, with action that's going to solve the problem. But now... You're talking to a group of parents and you're saying you're watching a movie theater and suddenly the exit door flies open and someone comes in and they're armed to the teeth. What do you do, Joe? So, I mean, 
the reality is in that situation, because there's really not a good way to get out of there with okay, the number of people. Four exits max. So that's a fight situation. You've got to charge that person. And the reality is most bullet wounds are not going to kill you. Right. And most bullet wounds, you can continue the fight. So, and you've got numbers on your side. In that movie theater, there's 100 people. As long as everybody plays along, yeah, it doesn't and that's bar- the thing is, <laughs> barricade the door. Exactly. And, and that's part of the problem is we, we, when, we're, when we're faced with that, you know, flight, flight, or freeze reaction, and flight's not an option, what tends to happen is freeze. Is freeze. And you've got to think through this ahead of time to know that this is what I'm going to do, and it's going to suck. And, and I'm not prepared to do this. And that's one of, the, one of my friends, we were talking about gun ownership. And she was like, it's, you shouldn't have a gun, and, and it's horrible, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, listen. I'm like, all right, mama bear, let's talk about this. I'm like, you're at the mall, and you're in the back corner of the store, and a, sh- and a shooting starts, and, and you're hiding there, and the shooter comes towards you. What are you going to do? What's left? You have to fight. So do you want to, so do you, what do you want to have in that fight? Do you want to have a gun or do you want to not have a gun? And, and, and that's what it comes down to. Now, do I, do I think if, if you have a gun, that doesn't mean go to the fight because you're not trained. Right. But it's a, it's the last resort to do that. So, I mean, part of gun ownership is being able to protect yourself because police do not protect you from shooters. They don't. They, they come in, rarely is a shooting, a mass shooting terminated by a police officer. It's terminated by that individual. They end up most of the time shooting themselves or someone else intervening to stop it. It's not done by police. Right. So if you think the police are going to save you, you're wrong. The police are going to find the dude and prosecute him if he gets away and they're going to take a look at it, but they are not going to stop this. They're not, they're, you would have to have one on every corner in every building and it's just not... It's not reality. It's not going to happen. So you've got to be prepared to fight, but you should not make that your primary option. The first thing you should do is run away. The, the best thing you can do is run away. There are very few people that should move towards the fire. And it, what, what people don't understand, this is something I've been teaching in martial arts for years about running away from gunfire and the, um, the reality of how big that bullet is to compare to someone running in a zigzag pattern away from a shooter. Even extremely well-trained snipers know that a moving target's the hardest target. And these are very well-trained snipers whose job it is to hit targets that are often moving. So that, that is a very viable option to run away. And so one of the things I talk about when you're, when you're doing this is, you know, when you're running away, be smart about it, all right? So... The first thing you want to do when you're running away is avoid open spaces. You know, don't, if you're running through the, if, if you have a choice between running through a field and running through a parking lot, run through, run through a parking the parking lot. lot. <laughs> okay. Cause you can get behind something and there's two things you want to look at is concealment and cover. And there's, there's a difference. Concealment is they can't see me, but if a round comes this way, it's going to hit me. So right. if you're handing, sitting behind a bush and they can't see you, the bush isn't going to stop that round. It's going to come through and hit you. So know that that's a thing. Right. And then cover is being behind the engine block of a car that round's not going to hit you if it comes your way so know what you're doing there and then just keep keep going get out of the area don't stop because you're you know get a terrain feature is my thing get a hill a large building something between you and whatever's happening right and that's that's one of the things the other thing that i would say 
as part of this reaction and you're part of your family plan is know this, know that cell phones are probably not going to work, especially with, there's a new, uh, there was a new initiative out there called, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of it now, but basically what it is, it's a nationwide cellular network that AT&T is providing for first responders. It's called FirstNet. FirstNet. So what AT&T has done is they have on all of their towers and in areas that they don't have coverage, they lease tower space from other providers. And they are going to basically prioritize calls and shut down cellular service for non-prioritized calls so that first responders can communicate because they're communicating by cellular device. Gotcha. So assume your cell phones aren't going to work and you're not going to be able to talk to folks. So specifically around school shootings, what I tell the parents is when they leave the school, you should have at least two places that they're going to go in opposite cardinal directions from the school so that you know I can go here and look for them, and that's where they're going to show up because they're not going to stop running until they get there. And we know what that is, and nobody else knows, and nobody needs to know. And you, the, the schools that say, well, we're going to meet here, horrible idea. Because, like, because, because if, now, if the child's a student, he knows where all the students Exactly. Meet. So we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't <laughs> say that we're going to recons- re- reconsolidate here. Just run away. That reminds me of, of like, you know, it, because this liquid could be a, a bomb-type substance, we're going to make you take it out before you go through security. Put it in this trash can right here with all the other liquids <laughs> that could be a bomb-type substance where all the people are. Yeah. Like, that's the worst place to put it. Exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> some of the stuff we do, it just doesn't make sense. But, so, pick cardinal directions. At le- I say at least two, so no matter which way you get out of the building, you don't have to turn around to go to that. Preferably four, figure out what those are, move out and have a place where you're going to look for them. If you are going to communicate by cell phone, communicate by text because a cell phone call requires continuous um, uninterrupted service where a text message is a short blast and when, when bandwidth is available, it'll shoot out. So, so text, don't call. Text, text is a better communication Got it. if you can do that. Because the moment it's available, you're going to get it. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, so anyways, run away, look for cover. As a, if you can't get that, look for concealment. If you have to move through an open area, number one, like you said, zigzag. Don't go in a straight line. Right. Number two, don't go in a group. Right. Because a group's easy to hit. I don't have to, I just have to aim somewhere in the group. I mean, think about when you're, if you're out elk hunting, you know, if there's a big herd, all I got to do is put around in the middle of the herd. I'm going to hit something, <laughs> if, you know, but if there's a lone elk, I got to make sure I have a well-placed shot. Right. Um, the other thing when you, when you, when you look at these, the shooters and, and, and so let's talk about hide now. So we talked about run. Let's talk about hide. Right. So hide, if you're going to hide, you know, the best thing you can do is be in a place where you can barricade and, and prevent the shooter from getting to you. But that might not be true. You might, it might not be a thing. You might not be able to do that. Like if you're in a, um, if you're in a department store, you know, and you can't get away, look for, look for an access to their back room where they do storage. Look for, you know, and if you can't find that, a fitting room with a door, you know, or, and if you can't find that, Get inside a clothes rack. Do something to at least hide your, your, yourself from being right, available. Right. 
turn off your cell phone. Because God forbid somebody calls you and your phone goes off. Right. I mean, these, and, and parents, if there's a school shooting, do not call your kids. Let them communicate with you. Because if you call your kids and they're hiding, you just gave away their hiding spot. Wow. Don't do that. It's a bad idea. You know, so, okay, so we did that. We did run. We did hide. Those are the kind of the things you want to do. You so. know, if you're, if you're in a classroom, put stuff up against the door if you can. If you're in an office, if you're at work, you know, put stuff up against your door. If your door opens out, use your belt or a phone cord or something. Wrap it around the door handle and hold that so it can't, so they can't pull the door out. If it opens in, put stuff in front of the door. And even if it opens out, put stuff in front of the door. Yeah. And then if you're hiding, stay, you got to think about what's happening. Stay out of the doorway because for some reason people shoot through doorways. I don't know why, but that's what they do. So don't be standing in a doorway. The other thing is stay low because if you think about it, when people are firing a weapon, they either fire it from shoulder height or from hip height. And it's usually level. So oh, okay. if you're... If that round is coming, even if you're on the other side of a wall, stay low so that the rounds are going over the top of you because primarily that's where they're going to end up. Can they deflect going through a, through a wall? Yes, but it's probably not going to take a 90-degree 90, 90 deflection. It's going to move off slightly. Right. So those are kind of the keys when you're, when you're hiding is to stay low below where gunfire would happen and and when you can barricade and do something to keep the door from opening. When you look at the Virginia, Virginia Tech shootings and how that played out, the, um, the shooter chained the door shut so people couldn't leave the building. He was basically creating a cage. Right. And in one of the rooms, they were on a second floor. They were jumping out the window. Okay, if you think about it, if you're leaving and going out the window, you're... If you hang from the window, a second floor window, what do you have, a six foot, four foot fall? Yeah. It's not far. It's not far at all. So, and even if it's a 12 foot fall, a broken ankle, you can much crawl. better, yeah, 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 much better than You can than fix the ankle. Yeah. So, um, so they had a very high survival rate. Um, there was another room where they didn't barricade, they didn't do anything, they were just in the room. He walked in there, shot some people, and then left went to another room to shoot some more people. They barricaded. They didn't try and leave, but they barricaded. Um, they had a much higher survival rate. He couldn't get in there. He went back to the open room. Those people were still in that room. They didn't do anything, and, and they, got, they got decimated. Wow. So, and you look at Columbine. When, when, when you were in Columbine. The, the cafeteria. Well, the library. The library. So the library yeah, yeah, had yeah, yeah, an right. exit because they were right outside the library, and one of the students said, we should go out through the back door. And the training that the teacher received at the time was, no, we're going to hide in here and we're going to stay low and we're going to do this and we're going to hide under desks. So they never left. And they went in there and that was basically a killing field. That, they, that then they left again one, yeah. and then they went out through that door. Now, I'm not faulting the teacher because that's what the teacher was trained that's to do. That's what they were trained to do, of course. But the, and, and that's the other thing that you've got to talk to your kids about is, especially in junior, in, in middle school and high school, they have some level of autonomy. And if they, if, if the teacher's not letting them do something that they, you know, to, to get away, they should do that. And so, oh, I forgot to talk about that. Listen, when you're leaving a room, or you're try not to leave, like if you're in an office or you're in a school or wherever, don't leave through the hallway. That's probably where the shooter is walking around. Right. Leave through a window. 
I mean, most most buildings don't have an exterior door. If you have an exterior but, door that goes outside, do that. But schools, but, hospitals, they're required to have external windows. Like uh, that's for fire safety. Yeah. So break the window and leave through the window. If it's not, if the opening's not big enough to just crawl through, which in schools predominantly they're not, break right. the window and leave through it. If you're going to break the window, break it in a corner, because the corner is the most rigid part of the window. If you hit it in the middle and it's flex, it requires more force to get through. Use something like a chair leg or something to break it because it is it pro- provides the smallest surface area so that you have the maximum amount of force being applied to the smallest surface area to break the window. You just said something that I think is really important that I think parents need to hear. And this is, of all the things that could have been controversial in this long episode, I think one, one of the things you just said is could, could stand to be the most, is that we're dealing with human beings who've been trained to lead children to safety in a scenario that no one's prepared for ever. And, and in, in doing research about how people train to be able to, to deal with conflict and violent confrontations, which for 30 plus years I've done through martial arts, you've done through the military and martial arts. When it comes time to fight or flight, run or fight, you're going to do what you have to do in a moment. And that's why we're leaving fight for the very end. But if your teacher says, stay put, and your gun says, your gut says, get out, you just told parents to tell their kids to follow their gut and get out. Yes. And that's, that's I agree with you. And that's exactly what I would tell my kids. But so in working with teachers, and, and let's talk about another thing, you know, arming teachers, horrible idea. They don't have the training. And they don't have the mentality to do it. Are there some teachers that could? Sure. Yes. But in general, saying we should arm teachers is a bad idea. No, no, no. The teachers at my brother's school, my brother's a teacher. And they were, these people looked at him and were like, you're going to be the one. He was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm not. No, I'm not. And that's, I, I'm with you. So, there. but the other thing is when you, when you look at these, some of the teachers, I mean, there's one teacher that I work with that I call skittish deer. <laughs> there's no way she is making good decisions in a stressful situation. It's just not going to happen. She's a great teacher. But if you in- introduce stress into her environment, she's going to fall apart. But Joe, we're also talking about human nature. You introduce stress and we're talking about you know life and death stress. And then add on top of that, you're responsible for these 40 children sitting in your classroom who are screaming, crying, yelling, uh, uh, hiding, shutting down. Like, like this, is, this is an unwinnable situation for someone who's trained weekly in a scenario like this. Because you have to have compliant people. Those people, have, your students have to be trained on a weekly basis for this thing to be handled adequately, with, with, with zero loss of life or, or very little loss of life. These have to be weekly trainings and they have to be, and then you've got to add the sound of it. Like, I see, <laughs> I see, I disagree with you on the sound of it. I, I, so I, that, that induces too much. We talked earlier about the stress yeah, of these yeah, exercises. I'm, I'm with you, and but I, I think it needs to be, so we can't make it where they're stressed out over this. The, the best thing we can do is, is walk through this and continually walk through this. And, and I had these conversations with my kids a lot. Like I had a sledgehammer in my room 
And I said, you know, if something bad happens, we're going to leave through the window. And I have a key to the window. And here it is. And I'd pick up the sledgehammer and I would show it to him. This is the key to the window and that's how we're going to open it. So if something bad happens to me, you guys know where the key is. It's right here next to the window. And you're going to open the window and you're going to do this and you're going to go this direction. And that's what you're going to do. How many times did you say that to him? Oh, regularly. Okay. We talked about it a lot. Okay. It, and, and we talked anytime a new kid came in, we talked about, we, we talked about a lot. And I, th it wasn't, it wasn't a, like the, the kids felt safe in my room. And that was one of the keys to this whole thing was making them feel safe and where they didn't have to worry about this because they knew they were safe. And, and that's I one of the you, things. I know you, Joe, had something happened, your kids would have also listened to you because you have, a, you have a way of command, you have a way of talking, you have a way of uh, 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 assuredness about you. And that is also something that a child can depend upon. And that's something that has to be trained regardless of what my point is, is that regardless of what we train teachers to do, they're teachers first. And they're yeah. teachers who are normal human beings who are already stressed to the max and, not, and getting paid shit yeah. to now have to deal with life and death scenarios. And this fight thing, which I think, I mean, you and I could probably talk for hours on, on talking to kids about how to fight someone with a gun. But the truth is, is that in that moment, they're just going to do what their instincts tell them to do. And that's why I think we got to end this conversation with what you just said, which I, I think is really important, is that what a parent needs to tell their kid is something really happens. If this goes down, yeah, you've had this, this training and this Alice stuff and we've been talking and everything, but at the end, you're going to do what your gut tells you to do. And that's it. I mean, that's, that's what happens. And the more you talk about it, yes. the, that's the, the best thing you can do is talk yes. about this. Because the more you talk about, well, what if this and what if that and how would you do this? The more you talk about these situations, the more options they have in their head about what they can do and the calmer they're going to be. Yes. And are they going to be calm? No. No. <laughs> this is going to be the worst yeah. moment of their life. But they're going to be calmer than if you didn't talk about it at all. Which just because means they have a better chance. The, the last thing we want is the freeze option. Yeah. You have to do something. Run, Whether, hide, fight. Yeah. You have to make a decision. And if you just sit there with no decision, that's the worst possible scenario anywhere. Joe, uh, I mean, we're going we're gonna to do this again when your book's out. When do you think the book's going to be coming out? What's your goal? Well, my goal is to be done writing by the end of February oh, wow. and then start editing after that. So hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to be out this summer. Uh, you got I a working to, title? No, I don't. It's, <laughs> it's such a horrible topic. And it's, you know, I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you call this? What do you say about right, this? Right, right, right. You know, so um, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be. It'll come to me eventually. It always does. But, you know, until then, it's just this is this is the topic. And, and we'll come up with a, something that makes sense that gets people's attention but doesn't terrify them. <laughs> is, there, <laughs> is there a way that uh, um, people listening who've had experience with shootings or have questions for you about this can email you directly and ask you questions? Um, I do have a Facebook page uh, set up called uh, Schoolhouse Tactical on Facebook. So if you, if you uh, just type that in on Facebook, my page should come up and you can, I try to post stuff on there um, about what's going on and what I think. And, and uh, you can, you know, direct message me through that and I'll, I'll answer your questions and talk to you about stuff. And uh, 
Uh, I'd love to hear anybody's opinions out there on this and what they think and, and if they're, you know, of the same mind or of a different mind and what their opinion is and, and let's talk about it and see if, if they can convince me their way or I can convince them my way. I mean, it, it's the conversation that's going to matter most at the end of the day. You know, we agree to disagree, but it'll be the conversation that will do the most and, and offer the most positive change. Schoolhouse Tactical on Facebook. My guest has been Joe Gallagher. This is a tough conversation, Joe. And uh, I think we're going to, we have another level of this conversation to have. So thanks for being on the show. And you and I are working together two weeks from now yes, with a we whole are. bunch of <laughs> parents here at Fire Mountain. So thanks for being on Beyond Risk and Back. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much, parents, for making Beyond Risk and Back a number one parenting podcast. I'd like to thank CCSAD for their support and the opportunity to interview all of these amazing guests for this series. If you have seen Beyond Risk and Back on any of the five major social media sites, you can thank Your Cause Consulting. Your Cause Consulting specializes in marketing companies that have something going on bigger than just running their business. They have a cause. If you'd like to contact Your Cause Consulting, go to yourcauseconsulting at gmail.com. All the sound and the music was engineered and created by Deepin Productions. To reach Deepin Productions, go to deepinproductions at gmail.com. D-E-E-P-E-N productions at gmail.com. This is Aaron Huey. Parents, remember to take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third. In that way, we do our best work with our children. We'll talk again soon.